This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the hill country of Texas. But today, we are heading back to our roots. We are going back to Hawaii, and our guest for today's show will be Deacon Steve Greco. He is a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Orange. He is the Director of Evangelization and Formation at the Diocese of Orange, and he is retired. He was 35 years as a healthcare executive, um, but last year, Deacon Steve, this is why Deacon Steve's on the show, last year, Deacon Steve, as the script that I was given by his publicist says, Deacon Steve endeavored to create the Jesus Thirst for America movement, but really, he didn't endeavor to create it. He created it, and they're doing Eucharistic revivals, um, one-day-centered Eucharistic events in over 21 cities. They started out at the Crystal Cathedral, or now Christ Cathedral in Orange County, and now they're going all over the country. And next stop is the beautiful state of Hawaii. So I have Deacon Steve on. The whole time, I was afraid I was going to call him Deacon Sam Greco because Sam Greco was one of my favorite kickboxers in the 90s. Famously, he broke, brutally broke Dennis Alexio's leg. Dennis is a Hawaii legend, a kickboxing Hawaiian legend. So there's that strange digression. Um, But the whole time I was like, please don't call him Deacon Sam. But we have Deacon Steve Greco on the show. And oftentimes you're going to be thinking, wait, am I listening in on Jason's private spiritual spiritual direction? Because the show kind of drifts into just my own private spiritual direction. But listen, if you are in the state of Hawaii, and we have a lot of listeners in the state of Hawaii, you need to go to this conference. I think it's very important. I remember back in the day in Hawaii, we always had events, church events, festivals, carnivals, the farm fair, the state fair is still big, but it was just every weekend there was something beautiful. And um, so I'm so happy that Deacon Steve is bringing his um, one-day Eucharistic events to our wonderful state. So I want you to go in the show notes, click. When you listen to Deacon Steve, you're going to want to go, so check it out. But if you're not from Hawaii, you just want to listen to Deacon Steve. He's a, he's a wonderful man, and you can bring his event to your parish. All right, let's get on with the interview. Um, but before we do, I just want to say this. This episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world when the world is left. Uh, go to thegreatcampaign.org right now, uh, thegreatcampaign.org, and become a monthly donor. Right now, anyone who donates $25 or more becomes a monthly donor of $25 or more a month or donates $250 will get one of our great campaign hats where we, you can get the flag of your choice for the different countries that we work in. You have to check it out. Sudan, South Sudan, Nigeria, Malawi, East Chinese occupied, East Turkestan, Ukraine, Afghanistan, um, United States, the Vatican, Vatican city, wherever we're working, we have patches for our teams, and you now can get a hat with the patch. The patch goes in the front of the hat. There's a little Velcro spot there, and you can they're interchangeable. So go to thegreatcampaign.org and stand with us uh, while, we, while we stand with the most vulnerable people in the world. I should also note, go into the show notes. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about it right now, but I'll just say this, that we are announcing this week 
that I am doing a pilgrimage to Kalapapa on the island of Molokai, where St. Mother Marianne Cope and St. Damien served the vulnerable, served people with Hansen's disease. Um, and I want it to be the Jason Jones Show audience and the Vulnerable People Project um, supporters to be the first to attend. All right, so check that out. Here is my interview with Deacon Steve on the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, uh, Deacon Steve Greco. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Jason. I am thrilled, and my only regret is I'm hoping that you can join me in in uh, Hawaii. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> I'm jealous. I will not be able to join you, but maybe uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, might be able to join you. But I'm jealous. So, Deacon, you're on the show today because your spirit, your spirit filled ministries, is on the road. And you have um, an event in Hawaii this July. Absolutely. We are just thrilled to to be in Hawaii for actually two days, July 14th and 15th. And, of course, I'm going to be there for two weeks and doing talks throughout uh, the islands. But, um, but the 14th and 15th are big events for the iThirst movement. And... I'm incredibly excited to say that uh, all the priests are coming in, or certainly those that can make it on the 14th, for a retreat about evangelization, and we'll have a healing service on the evening of the 14th, and then from there, we, we will have our I Thirst event on the 15th. Well, do you know how, Deacon, you know how I know you're sincere about evangelization? Yes. You're going in July to Hawaii. There's these shady, <laughs> there are these shady ministries. No, there's these shady ministries you got to watch out for. They always are doing uh, events in Hawaii in February. On that note, exactly, Jan, they're doing, they're doing exactly. events. You got to watch these groups. They're doing events in Hawaii in January and February. On that note, I just need to say this. If you want to join me, Jason Jones, in Hawaii, uh, as we visit Kalapapa and the island of Oahu, uh, go into the show notes uh, that'll be kicking off. In Jan- January 24th. Okay, I had to get that out of the way. I'm one of those shady ministries oh, that brings fantastic. people there in the winter. <laughs> but you're going. Oh, that's a, yeah. But you're going I don't in think July. A bad time. Yeah, there's not a bad time. Yeah, no, I there's mean, not a bad time. But when you go in the winter, you inspire envy. <laughs> well, I must admit, the winter is much better, but we have longer days. So there you go. No, you I know, think this is wonderful. Now, do, now who's yeah. going to be there? So I'm from Hawaii. Uh, we have a wonderful bishop. Uh, Bishop Larry. So is Bishop Larry going to be participating in this? Bishop Larry will be doing the mass uh, on Saturday morning at St. Anne's. Um, and so we're so excited, 7 a.m. And so, and then we have speakers from all over the country that will be there all day long. And it's going to be uh, absolutely spectacular. But yeah, Bishop Larry will be there. Looking forward to seeing him. Um, my my close friend Dominic Alasso will be there that works in the evangelization area and obviously a whole lot of people will be there from the Hawaiian uh Oahu area in particular so it's going to be really exciting well this has this show has a huge audience in Hawaii so tell us about your ministry you're a deacon you're a permanent deacon in the diocese of Orange County and you decided to launch out uh worldwide yeah, there's no, it, 
I think we're in such amazingly critical time, Jason, as I know you do, in terms of using whatever time or talent that God has given us to be able to build up the body of Christ. And for me, um, I was in the commercial world. I was senior vice president of sales for Bristol-Myers Squibb, and I started my own company after that and did all kinds of things in the pharmaceutical area. But the Lord kept tugging on me to say, use the gifts that you have to build up the body of Christ. So actually about uh, seven years ago, um, I started Spiritual Hearts Ministry with the idea of that the greatest journey in the world, as you know, Jason, is between the head and the heart. And so the whole idea was to have that road to Emmaus type experience where our hearts not on fire, were they not burning? And to create all kinds of events and social media and whatever we could possibly do to let people know how much God loves them and to ask them to give their life to Jesus Christ. So we started our own radio network with Spiritual Radio. We have our own podcast network. We have 75,000 uh, episodes that have been downloaded. Um, we travel worldwide. I'm a missionary in the Philippines, Indonesia. Um, we're going, of course, all over the country, uh, going to Canada, different countries around the world. Um, and the whole idea is the fact that people are thirsting. They're thirsting for Jesus. They're thirsting to, to be all in and not lukewarm. You know, and I, I'm, I'm so, um, the third chapter of Revelation that says, I wish you were either hot or cold because you're neither cold or hot, but lukewarm, I'd spew you out of my mouth. People want to stand for something. And I believe very strongly that what we're trying to do with the I Thirst movement and everything we're doing at Spiritual Hearts Ministry is to have people make a decision for Christ. That's that's beautiful. And this is the language as I'm listening to you talk. I'm a convert to Catholicism. I was an atheist till I was in my late 20s. I was an evangelical for about 18 months. and But I quickly moved from being an evangelical Christian into the Catholic Church. But the language you're using awesome. sounds almost evangelical. Did, are you a convert from, <laughs> were you an evangelical Christian before becoming a Catholic? Well, I, 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 I have to tell you a really quick story. Uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, and like so many other cradle Catholics, I was a cultural Catholic. So, you know, my parents took me to church. I did the confirmation, got married in the church, I mean, everything. In my 20s, I got married at 21. In my 20s, I was involved, but, you know, if, if, I like to say if someone would follow me around and try to convict me of being on fire Christian Catholic, you couldn't do it. You know, I was cultural, and I knew what buzzwords to say, but I lived a life away Deacon, when you, can, can I ask you about that? Because as a convert, I find the stories of reverts, and I find the stories of reverts like you more interesting than the stories of converts like me. But and I found the most interesting stories those who have, were faithful the whole time in the internal struggles. Now, when you said you were cultural, were you going to mass every Sunday still? I, I was going to mass every Sunday, but it was it wasn't in my heart, and it didn't impact my behavior. That's the key thing, Jason. In other words, I would do and say and think, you know, things of the world. You know, very fleshy, very much involved in the world activities. And it, it didn't make a big difference in my life. I was like checking the box, like an insurance policy. 
going to mass on Sunday because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Had three kids kind of early in my life. But it wasn't until I was 28 years of age, I was promoted very quickly to be a sales manager for a pharmaceutical company. I was working in the field in Bakersfield, California. And I was with, with a guy who was a Catholic. And he shows up with a Holy Spirit pin. Now, this is a long time ago. And people weren't wearing Holy Spirit pins back then, especially Catholics. I said, what's going on? He said, I found Jesus. So what do you mean you found Jesus? You, you know, you were confirmed, you know, you, you were baptized Catholic. You go to church on Sunday. He said, I never knew Jesus. I just went through the motions. And I, I drove, I lived in California, in Irvine, California, you know, essentially about three hours, three and a half hours away from Bakersfield. That entire drive, I kept thinking to myself, do I really know Jesus or am I just going through the motions? And I knew I was going through the motions. So later that night, I was all by myself. I looked in the mirror and I said, I give you my life. And I meant it. I totally meant it. And it wasn't, it isn't how long the prayer is. It's whether it's from your heart. I went into the living room and there was this big, thick book with dust and pictures in it, you know, they had never been opened. And everyone knows what that is. The, the Bible. Bible. The Bible. The, exactly. I tell so my the I Protestant the book, Bible. the Bible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I opened the book, Jason. The words start leaping off the page at me. That that Jesus so loved me, he gave that God so loved me, he gave me his only begotten son, Jesus, so that I may have eternal salvation. You know, and I turn to Romans eight, that nothing will separate me from the love of God, that I was his adopted child. I turn to Ephesians one that said, From the dawn of time I was chosen to be spotless and holy and filled with every blessing, every grace. And I just said, Wow, why didn't I know this? Why didn't I know this? And so I started telling everybody about it. My mother, a couple months later, called me. Uh, she was in Glendale, about an hour away. Called me to come and see her. Sat me down on the couch and thought I joined a cult. Said, you know, no Catholics. You did talk about Jesus. <laughs> We're a big cult. We're a big old cult. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it was like for me. I just and, and it really. I mean, there's been some ups and downs. Don't get me wrong, but as a whole that changed my life and I couldn't get enough of scripture, the mass being connected to Jesus. I just, I, I had that, that transformation, that metanoia and that experience is what we're trying to do with I thirst. That experience of saying there's more, there's a lot more, there's a lot more. And at the end of each I thirst event, we call people up to be prayed over, to receive the Holy Spirit, to re become missionary disciples. And then we follow up with 52 weeks of training uh, on the internet and videos on oh, how this is to great. be on fire for Jesus Christ. Thank you. This yeah, is great. So I didn't know excited. that you had this. This is new to me. So this is so you have this event, which is emotional and cathartic and um, can lead you closer to God. But then it's not just goodbye. You know, there's this, um, I do a lot of public speaking and something that brings me comfort is they say that within 12 months of you giving a speech, only 1% of the people that heard you speak <laughs> will remember that they heard you give a speech. So that you don't ever have to worry about how you do because no one's going to remember. So yeah, you, no, you, don't let that, you don't let that happen. It's, you have, well, I ran training, yeah. 
go ahead. No, and this is comes from your background. You were you worked in pharmaceuticals. I'm guessing yeah, from just I, talking I, to you, it was in sales. Yeah, in sales, and I also ran train development departments. So the whole idea of a continuum and how fa- fast that cliff is when you have an event that, like you say, you know, you're lucky if they remember 10 to 15 percent of what you say, and within a few days, you know, again, it's it's almost all gone. So you're going to have to have a continuum. You're going to have to have ongoing uh, catechesis and reinforcement. So we have this 52-week follow-up. We have our internet uh, radio, you know, spiritual radio. Then we have our podcast with 750 podcast episodes, everything to do with how to share your faith and training and, and catechesis and how to be on fire. And so we're constantly saying, we're going to rock with you. We're going to stand with you. We're going to do everything we can to get you on fire. And we're also partnering with St. Paul Street Evangelization. So we're teaching people because I believe very strongly that if you don't learn how to share your faith and don't start sharing your faith with wherever you go, at work, at school, you know, just casually, at parties, and, and yes, even on the streets, you know, um, if you don't learn how to do that, then basically you're going to fall right back to where you were. No, street evangelization is so important, especially for young people. I started as an atheist, but pro-life, 17 years old, going door to door, talking to people about abortion. And for 10 years in my work in Hawaii in the pro-life movement, I just knocked on doors. <clears throat> I knocked on doors every right. chance I got. And now young people, unfortunately, because of social media, are really losing how to just communicate. And now they call they call the real space the third space. Isn't that interesting? So I don't know what first and second space are, but they say, well, third spaces are very important. And by third spaces, they mean like, you know, the real world, like a bookstore, a street corner. Um, (laughs) These have somehow become the third space. But um, I I think that's very important because people are lonely and the, the social media just makes them feel more lonely. Instagram makes them feel more lonely. TikTok makes them feel more lonely. And so I so love. I, the... I have a challenge for you. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. When you come to Los Angeles, I know you, something's going to get you out here. You and I will go on the streets, and we're going to go to Hollywood Boulevard. Going to Hollywood Boulevard and doing street evangelization—something you'll never forget. <laughs> you know. Well, Deacon, let me tell so... you, I had an office at Hollywood and Vine in the Hollywood and Vine building for years. <laughs> so if so I'm not telling you something you don't. No, know. in my team, we would. We wouldn't do street evangelization, but we, wherever I have an office, we adopt our neighbors without homes. And so we just lived out on the streets um, yeah, it, it, out there it, in it, Hollywood. It, and that's a wild, wild place. It's unbelievably. And the world comes to that corner. But again, our whole movement is Jesus thirst for America and I thirst. You stop the people in the street. Just start talking to them. Maybe you give them some water, whatever. You just start, start, and they, they look at you, and nine out of ten times, they are so thirsty for God, they may not even know it. And, and you start carrying on a conversation, and they are all in. They're all in. And then one of the things I learned actually in Hawaii, because on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m., they're in Waikiki in the big park over there, you know, the local church there, uh, they, they have fed, you know, they, 
they, they say it's sharing food for ordinance purpose, but they basically feed the homeless and you know how many are in Hawaii. Oh, it's, you know, yeah, it's Waikiki. unbelievable. It, it's unbelievable. So is that the one love church, one, the one love church right there in Waikiki? Um, it's St. Augustine. Oh, it's, oh, the know, Catholic right parish. There. Yeah, that's great. The yes. Catholic church. Yeah. So I know yeah, that used so, to be my parish for many years. And then a block yeah, so away. We work, we, yeah, exactly. And so right there where the aquarium is and the, and the whole grassy area across from there, you know, so they show up at 6 a.m. and then they feed them. But one thing I did, I've been there a number of times, is I asked the organizers as a deacon and so forth. I asked the organizers, I said, you mind if I talk to them, evangelize them, pray with them? Oh, no problem. Because they were giving out the food, but they weren't necessarily touching the spiritual heart. So I went around, and Jason, it was, it's been incredible. I went around, and I'd ask them their name, right? A good start. Hey, what's your name? It's my name. You know, and they'd say, my name's John. My name's Mary. My name's Stephen. Whatever it is, it was like they were almost all saint names. And I said, do you know about St. John? You know, and so I'd start oh, telling them great, about their name. What, what a great thing to do. Yeah. And then I would, I would pray. I said, do you mind if I, I pray with you and pray for what's going on in your life, pray for you. And so I'd lay hands on them. But then, and this is for your listeners, one of the most important things you can ever do, because with Catholics, it is about dignity. It is about supporting these people in love with the love of Christ. I'd ask them to pray for me. And they'd sit there and they'd say, I've never done that before. And I'd say, but I know you know how to do it. So whatever comes to your heart, I want you to pray for me. And I'm telling you, Jason, the prayers were so much better than mine. You know, it was just spectacular. I'm praying for this man. I'm praying for their family. I'm praying that God touches, you know, and it's like, and you could see the smiles on their faces. Because it wasn't like they were inferior. Now we're equals, you know, if not, they're better than me, you know, but we're at least equals. Yeah, no, that's always the mystery, right? I always feel like they're better than me, but that's not, that's a low bar. You know, that's not a high bar. I hear you, buddy. It's not a high bar. But but the the bottom line is that getting people to verbalize prayer is so important. You know, how many times do you go to events? Catholic events, let's say, and and someone has is signed to lead off in prayer, and they come with some printed prayer, you know, something from a book or whatever. And I'm not saying that's bad, but we've got to learn to pray from our heart. I don't want something printed. What's on your heart right now? Pray what's on your heart, what God has put on your heart. We have to learn how to pray. And so as we do this, as we evangelize, which means good news, what we're doing is we're teaching people to reach within their heart. That's why we're called spiritual hearts. Reach within your heart to be able to share the love of Christ with other people. Deacon, I love that. And, you know, um, Waikiki, I lived in Waikiki for 10 years, so that neighborhood you're talking about was my neighborhood. In fact, my wife tells people she, she fell in love with me on our first date when we were walking from one from a restaurant to a bar, and every homeless person knew my name. And she said oh, how I would awesome. sit down. She said, you know, the way you just would sit down, you would always make yourself lower than them. So if they were standing, you'd spread your leg. Yeah. I'm a tall guy to look a little shorter. If they were sitting, you'd sit I Indian style to be a little lower. Something I never realized that I did. 
And um, but those I are my fit. That's my family, and that and, and that's the, a community. And we have to start loving our community. Now you're going to the state of Hawaii to do this evangelization. Everyone, you know, a lot of our audience lives in Hawaii. Um, you know, it's a prayerful people. It's a very pious and faithful people, as I'm sure Bishop um, Larry shared with you. So what do they? What can they expect? So when people, how first of all, how can they sign up? They they go to our website. Uh, JesusThirstForAmerica.com, and they can sign up. And we won't turn anybody away. There's a small fee, but believe me, we'll not turn anybody away. We'll put away. that in the show notes. Uh, we'll put the website. Yeah. Say it one more time, but it's going to be in the show notes. Okay. It's JesusThirstForAmerica, all one word, dot com. Okay, so I sign up, and um, what can I expect? You sign up, and, and you basically, um, we've got, an event actually on the 14th, a healing event in the evening at St. Elizabeth at, um, IEA. Oh uh, yeah. I am. Yeah, my, my two oldest children were baptized and confirmed there. Oh, and wow. in fact, you know, you know well. I'm a Catholic because of a good priest there, because when I was 18, um, my girlfriend at the time and I went there to get married and I was an atheist and he sat down to talk to me Would I raised my children Catholic. And I said, Whatever fairy tale makes the grandparents happy. And the priest said, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> and get out of here. And then so we got married by a Unitarian under a waterfall. And we were mm. young people and we had two children as teenagers sure. and our divorce fell apart when we were in our early 20s. But when I became a Catholic in my late 20s, early 30s, I was so grateful for this priest who would have, he could have just turned a that his, 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 you know, blind eye to the fact that this isn't truly a sacramental marriage and did it just to make the grandparents happy or whatever. But what he would have been doing was making my conversion process much more challenging to enter the church and to get remarried. Um, because mm. I was an unbaptized person who didn't have a Catholic wedding. Um, all I needed was a decree of nullity. And if you're not Catholic, you're like, what is this all? But that St. Elizabeth church, I'm always grateful to a priest who stood his ground and, you know, told this young punk, me, this atheist, arrogant atheist, to get out of here. You know, this is not going to be a sacramental marriage. Out. Um, so so I'm, I apologize for interrupting you. So it's going to start at St. Elizabeth. Yeah, and so that evening we'll have a healing mass. Get there at 6 o'clock for praise and worship, and then we're going to have a mass, and then after the mass, We'll lay hands for healing, and we're expecting miracles. I've written eight books on miracles. I go around the world praying with people. Jesus is the healer, not me, but we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe very strongly when Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe in John 14, 12. It says, you will do what I do and more because I go to the Father for you. So we're going to expect miracles. We're telling all your, asking all your listeners to show up on Friday night. July 14th, St. Elizabeth, and it will be an incredible, powerful experience. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to kick off, actually, with a priest retreat at St. Stephen's Diocesan Center for the priests. Now, have you the been there before, the Deacon? I have. I have. Yeah. The most beautiful place on earth. It is so you feel startling. Like you're, you're in Nirvana or, you know, you Garden of Eden or whatever. You know, it's just incredibly beautiful. You feel that um, way until the Tyrannosaurus Rex comes along. And it will, if there are, 
they don't we're not supposed to talk about it. it's not good for tourism but there are a few <laughs> velociraptors and uh what are the flying ones but they won't show up they won't show up with us so. okay yeah that's right just but, but yeah not with us so anyway so uh so the evening will be fantastic and the next day we're at saint anne's in kanahohi is it i'm, I'm not sure i'm pronouncing it Kaneohe. All these and parishes, so you're uh, you're making me so homesick. Every parish you've named has a very special place in my heart. Yeah, so it's it's unbelievable. And and again, we're uh, Bishop Larry will start it off at seven a.m. mass, and then we have all day with uh, Deacon Larry Oni, Andy Oni. We're going to have uh, incredible Barbara Heil, uh, Kathleen Beckman. Um, we also have our Monsignor, who was our Vicar General, Dr. Torchak, will be there too. And it, it's just going to be totally, and of course, I'll be speaking. It will be totally, totally on fire. We're going to bring people into why you should give your life to Jesus. What does it look like to be all in? What does it look like to, to really make a difference for other people by saying yes to Jesus and then sharing your faith with other people, how you do that? We're going to talk about the Blessed Mother, how the Blessed Mother will guide us. It's going to be amazing. And then at the end of the day, everyone will come up to be prayed over. And we will then start the whole process of 52 weeks. And we will be journeying with them and, and doing everything we can to support their journey to be able to make a difference with their families. I mean, Jason, I know you know this. You know how many people say to me constantly, none of my kids go to church? You know, I hear it all the time. That's it starts with your family. Yeah, no, that's right. The, that's or, or my husband or my wife or whatever it might be, my brothers, my sisters, you know, people that you love, they, they dropped out of, out of the faith or they don't go anywhere. Can we talk about and, that real quick, Deacon? Because, yeah, please. You know, so when I came in the church in 2002, um, I'm a very orthodox, I, I'm such a hard head. Even I wouldn't go through RCIA because I thought they were too heterodox and liberal. And I told a priest friend of mine, if you want me to become Catholic, you're catechizing me yourself. Cause I'm these people, I know the faith better than they do. I can't, I can't stand it. So that's where I'm coming it. from. But I have noticed over the years, a lot of my friends who are in my community, they, they homeschool, they may even be the traditional Latin mass. I see this cycle, and now that I've been, uh, August 6th will be my 20th anniversary of my baptism, confirmation, and first communion. Praise God. Praise and, God. And God is good. And I, um, um, but I've noticed in the 20 years sort of this sort of triumphalism, this sort of like retreating from the world, and we're going to raise perfect Catholic families. And then I watch as those families are just one after the other cast on the rocks. Not all the time, but so many times. And or the kids Jason. will leave the family and they leave the church and they're even, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Estranged from their parents, and it's quite it's it's quite as a father of seven, this is quite sorrowful for me. What how, it's it's I guess every time in human history is a challenging time to be a human being. You know, if today is it's hard, but if I was living in Ukraine in 1930s, I'd have the Holodomor and we'd be starving to death. So there's always challenges. Um. But technology, prosperity, um, you know, endless wealth accumulation possibilities for anyone, you know, with an above average IQ, average IQ. You know, how do we raise 
holy, pious, simple families in these really crazy times. It's, it's really fascinating um, from the standpoint that I'm in a somewhat, you know, higher middle class, somewhat wealthy area. And so many of my friends, I have a, a Friday morning men's group. And in reality, this morning, I talked about it uh, on Friday. And I talked about it in the sense of saying, we have to be all in. And the scripture reading for this coming Sunday is talk about that we need to put God ahead of mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, really a tough reading now, Matthew. But bottom line is the reason we're where we're at is because people, our children, our grandchildren, whatever, our children looked at not what we said, but what we did. Our priorities were everything but Jesus. I got to have the best college. I got to have the best job. I have to have, I have to make money. I have to get that big house. I have to do all those things. And oh, by the way, if you can make it on Sunday to church, it became almost a joke. Um, people are not committed. They're not all in, you know, and, and They'll put their I, children's has, uh, baseball practice ahead of confirmation class or whatever. I see this all the time. Constantly, constantly. But I was even they thinking more about the families that really do seem to be all in. Okay, so they the are going are above and in. beyond. The parents are holy yeah. and working very hard. And yeah, okay, so we are in. This is the biggest crisis, at least of my lifetime. You know, I'm older than you are. Bottom line is this: in my lifetime, this is the biggest spiritual crisis we've ever been in. And all you have to do is turn on the. TV, radio, internet, whatever, go to a movie. I mean, everything is counterculture to being a Christian. Everything. We are in this spiritual battle that won't quit. And so I'll be candid with you. I mean, we have to be so in touch with the Lord. I mean, for me, I'm, I've got a long way to go. I'm far from perfect. I'm not trying to hold myself up as holier than now. But for me to, to have this ministry and I work for the Diocese of Orange. I'm actually in charge of evangelization, faith formation. I have seven departments report to me besides spiritual arts. And for me to accomplish anything, I can't do it at all. I have to be zero. Without me, you can do nothing. John 15, I have to surrender to Christ totally. And I, for me, the Lord said 12 divine mercies, three rosaries, daily mass, daily adoration, daily scripture, you know, I mean, I wake up early to do two and a half to three hours worth of prayer or to be, you know, I, I mean, if we were trying to run a marathon, would we not put the time in? If we're trying to build ourselves up physically, would we not build the time in? Yeah, think of all put those. Time in? I love that idea. I get up before the sun as well to do my devotionals and my reading. And um, I love the way that you put that. If You know, picture all the the video we've seen of Muhammad Ali jogging before the sun is up, you know, and he, oh, people, I mean, how right? many people go to gym? How many young people go to gyms? Right. And, and that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong to build your, your body up to, you know, do all that. But where's the spiritual muscle? Where is the, they, people are spiritually obese and don't really realize it. They may take in, but they don't give out. 
they don't build spiritual muscle. They don't put the time and effort in. If you're running, I've, I've run a half marathon, not a marathon, but if you're, if you're involved in any sort of activity like that, you have to put the time in. You can't all of a sudden wake up and even a, a 10K, you know, 6.2 miles, you can't wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm just going to run six miles. You know, you have to prepare. What is our preparation to build us up spiritually to be able to be a warrior for Christ, to live out our baptism, to live out our confirmation? What, what preparation do we put in? So you have to want it. That's why my favorite beatitude is the fourth one. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is God's will. Only then will they'll be satisfied or filled. You have to want it. We don't want it. We don't want it because it interferes with our, our, our life. It interferes with pleasure. It interferes with whatever. Do I hear an amen, brother? Amen. Or, well, you know, I, well, as I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting listening to you talk. I've often said if – I love that the way you said we're spiritually obese. I said, could you imagine if people – I, I gained weight not from eating too much, but from watching pornography. How fat yeah. people, we, you know, think like if other oh, sins caused us to gain weights or gain weight or da da da. Unbelievable. So, um, unbelievable. can I ask you a question? You said, you know, warriors for Christ. What does that mean to be a warrior for Christ? It means that you want to do battle with the enemy, the the demonic forces, the culture. That you want to. You know, as, as you know, in Ephesians 6, you know, putting on the armor of Christ, you have to first start with draw your strength from the Lord, his mighty power, put on the armor. And what is that armor in order to fight against principalities and powers? You, you have to resist the devil by putting on faith, by having faith, truth, righteousness, doing God's will as a breastplate, uh, peace, and all circumstances hold faith as a shield. So we have to have spiritual weapons, and Scripture is one of the most important ones. The Eucharist, and I'm in the process of we're going to be shooting a film on the Eucharist, um, which Jesus thirsts, the miracle of the Eucharist with Jim Wahlberg and and Tim Morardi uh, working what on the film. What great guys. Along. What great guys. Jim Wahlberg is such a mensch. Yeah, I've never yeah, met him, yeah. but I see him pop up all the time. And what I, he's Mark Wahlberg's brother, and Jim, Jim, I guess, is an actor. I, I'm in the film business, and I don't know anything about my own industry. But he, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I know him really from his videos on the faith, and they're always very sincere, very honest. Very, they're beautiful. What a good guy. He's my brother, and I brother spiritually, and we're, we talk constantly. And he went out and filmed three I Thirst events. You know, and, and, you know, in terms of, of having footage and uh, we said, hey, this movement is transforming people. Let's make a documentary movie. So, you know, we're already scheduled for a thousand theaters June of next year. We've got Scott Hahn. We've got Father Calloway, Father Chris Adlar. We've got all of these people, top Catholic people signed up to give testimonies. But most of it is going to be the run-of-the-mill people to say, how does the Eucharist transform me? You know, and we have a slogan that says, Eucharist revival empowers evangelization. If you truly, and you know this, Jason, if you truly believe in the real presence, first of all, you're going to want to go to Mass every day. Second is you will be transformed by the belief and faith 
that you've just received the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and that will propel you to share your faith. You know, and, and Nathan, it, can it, you explain that? Like, so for people who are not Catholic, what do you mean by the real presence? What does that mean? So if I'm evangelical, you, if I'm Muslim, and you, we, you, you'll you, hear you, Catholics you, talk about the real presence in the Eucharist, the host, the bread that we take at Mass, what does that mean? Well, what's so critical to understand is that when Jesus is talking about this in John 6, he wasn't talking about it symbolically. When he says in John 6, you know, starting at 53, amen, amen, which means this is really important, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I raise him up for the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Bottom line is this, that transformation that happens during the Mass is into Jesus' flesh and into his blood. That is what has been believed by the church from the very beginning. Even Martin Luther believed it. It really wasn't over. You know what struck me when I was Protestant? Well, actually, you know, is the idea that Adam and Eve reached up to a tree and picked fruit and Mm -hmm. ate fruit. And that changed our family, the human family. We have original sin, all of us. And then as baptized and confirmed Christians, we reach up to a tree and we take the bread of life. Amen. And become Amen. saved from the first tree, from the first Adam, Amen. the second Adam, the second tree. It's unbelievable when you really think about it. And it's weird, right? I, I tried to do a whole series on this podcast called Dude, That's Weird. And I would bring, my <laughs> idea was I'd bring people on to talk about the weirdest things in their faith. And so I brought in a scholar, a theologian, to talk about the Eucharist and how we have to acknowledge, if you never heard that before, it's pretty strange. In John six six six, uh, they wa- many walked away after Jesus said that. Exactly. They were like, "That's weird." Exactly. But you know what happened, Deacon? Nobody other faiths would come on to talk about the weird things. I'd ask my Mormon friends, "Will you come and talk about the planets?" Um, you know, I would ask people from different religious traditions to try to explain to me things that were strange about their faith. They wouldn't come on it. But what I'd love about us as Catholics that. Really, we don't hide our beliefs, even as uncanny as they are. But the truth of the Eucharist, if you deny that, then you have to deny the whole of the Christian faith. You have to. And and one thing that will help you, uh, help our listeners, and help all of us, actually, there's over 200 Eucharistic miracles. That's a big part of what we talk about, is all the miracles, not all of them, but Lanciano, I mean, on and on and on. So many different miracles. We're doing an I Thirst Catholic Schools in which we're going to talk about Eucharistic miracles, the shroud to high school kids. We're going to talk about healing in the Eucharist, the power of the Eucharist. So we've got to make it real. We have to have people understand. Do some research. Look up your Eucharistic miracles. See the science behind it. See how many people have tested it. How how the go to Lanciano. See the real blood is still there from the seventh eighth century. I mean, it, it's it, it. You cannot if you really do the time into it and you want to do it from your head at least 
and really do the research on it, it's kind of hard not to believe. You have to really, it, it really takes more faith not to believe than to believe. Well, that, really put the that's what happened with me as a, an atheist who was really hostile to Catholicism was I was trying to persecute the church and I persecuted my way right into the church. <laughs> you and Paul. <laughs> and so I think in, so, in anybody, right? There's so many people sure. I meet along the way of life that they began wrestling the church and they became Catholic. One of the things I love is your title is that Jesus thirst for America. You, you, but this whole interview, you've been talking about how we thirst for God. Or we should thirst yeah. for God, but but we've yeah. so been so distracted and deceived, we don't even feel that longing for God. Um, but more importantly, I like how you said it, that he thirsts for us. He longs for us more than we long for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, Jesus thirsting for us. You know, and I, I, I'm just going to give a little uh, question to your listeners that have children. How much do you thirst to have your children know God, or certainly your children be successful in life, to be happy in life. You know, you would do almost anything to have your children really excited about their life and, and feel fulfilled. Well, no one can fulfill them like Jesus can. No one can fulfill them. And so if you are who, as it says in the 11th chapter of Luke, we who are wicked, who know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does Father in Heaven want us to receive the gifts that God has in store for us, the gift of the Eucharist, the gift of the Holy Spirit? How much more, infinitely more, God thirsts for us than we can thirst for him? Infinitely more. And read the eighth chapter of Romans. Read how it says there's no condemnation in those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Read the, chapter, the, the part that says nothing will separate us from the love of God. Wherever I go and give talks, I often run across people that say, I've done the uncommittable thing. God could never love me. You know, all the lies of the enemy. He died. Jesus died for you and rose again that you may have eternal salvation. Everyone thinks they've done the unpardonable, you know, the sin that can't be pardoned or forgiven. No, it's a lie. And so bottom line is this. Jesus thirsting for you exactly where you're at right now in a way that you can't even imagine, but what, it is so incredible. Well, let me ask you this tough question. Does Jesus thirst for people who have gossiped and wronged Jason Jones about me? Gee, people have well, wronged I'm not sure me. About that one. No, what, what about my neighbor who leaves <laughs> his garbage can out four days after pickup? Jesus loves everyone. <laughs> unconditionally he thirsts for everyone you know he thirsts for the biggest sinner the biggest you know people that have done these horrific crimes he's thirsting for them he died for them and he knows what he we don't know we don't god knows when we see someone who's committed really crimes that to us are unspeakable and unforgivable how the weight of personal and original sin may have fallen on their spirit on their mind and their life as children Things that we can't exactly. see or we can't know. We don't know how. Original sin does not fall on all of us, right? The weight and pain and sorrow of it does not fall on all of us equally. We all don't starve in famines. We all don't die of childhood diseases. We all aren't sexually abused. For the, uh, uh, so, so, yeah, God sees everything. He sees the full picture and his heart breaks in a way that I always say that I can forgive all sins. Deacon, this is how holy I am. 
really, I'm going to brag here for a second. I can forgive any sin, all sins, the biggest crimes. The only sins that I really trouble, have trouble uh, forgiving people of are the slightest, smallest sins against me. When people well, wrong me in the littlest way, I very, I have, but you can commit great crimes against others. I can forgive those very easily. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it, it's very true. You know, people, you know, slander you, say bad things, desert you, abandon <laughs> you, cheat you. That's hard. You know, there's no question. It's very, very Stalin, hard. Stalin, I you forgive know, Stalin. And, but the guy that cheated me in business out of $4,000, I'll never forgive that guy. I wrote a book, Miracles Through Forgiveness, an entire book about this subject that we're talking about. You can get it on Amazon. Say that one more time, but Deacon. Miracles Through Forgiveness. Oh, by I love Deacon that. Steve Greco, G-R-E-C-O. Bottom line is this. The whole book is about forgiving yourself, forgiving others, forgiving God, healing of memories, healing the family tree. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's probably my number one seller of my eight books. But bo- bottom line is this. Forgiveness or lack of forgiveness is a roadblock that we are actually taking poison and don't realize it by lack of forgiveness. If we don't forgive other people, it's like taking poison, thinking it's going to harm someone else. It harms you. It hurts your walk. It hurts you block the blessings. I mean, all kinds of things. So you have to learn to forgive. And 50% of the people out there, in my opinion, struggle with forgiving themselves. And historically, I was in that category, you know, very hard. I should have done this. I should have not sinned. I should have not done those things that I regret. And that's really hard for a lot of people. Guess what? Jesus has forgiven you. So it's a sin of pride not to give yourself. He's already forgiven you. That's right. And of course, as you, as you mentioned, forgiving other people. And then the expectations that people put on God. Well, I prayed and nothing happened. Well, you're not God something did happen you know it may not have been exactly what it is that you thought so the whole area of forgiveness is a prerequisite to holiness and without forgiveness you know you can't you just you're stuck in the mud yeah well and that's how our lord taught us to pray right there it's embedded in that prayer exactly and forgive us our trespasses we forgive others um, exactly. Do you think, Deacon, you, do, you know, I, I think about folks who have trouble forgiving themselves, and I guess it must be much harder for, you know, when you're a convert, we celebrate our past sins. And this is one of the things that bothers me about how we tell stories in the church. So we'll meet a mm-hmm. convert. Before I was Catholic, I, blah, 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 and it's always like really boring oh, stuff, you know. It's always yeah, really boring. Sure. Like you smoked pot, you fornicated, yay, you were horrible. Um, yeah. And But then when it's somebody like you who was raised in the church— well, those stories are not allowed to be told because you were never allowed to slip up a little bit at all. And, no. but of course that's not how life works. Right. So then, no. then we're not allowed to tell those stories and therefore people are, are feeling like they're not forgiven. So many times we don't address crimes like abortion, personal sins like abortion. So then men right. and women who are involved in abortion maybe feel that they're not forgiven. I hear so many priests say they hear, the same woman confessing her abortion every year for 20, 30 years, every, every time she goes to confession for 20 or 30 years. Why? Because she feels she's not forgiven. So yeah, I think it's really, it's really important that we understand we're forgiven. 
it is a prerequisite to feeling loved. And most people don't feel that God loves them. Most people feel that they love, you're, you're loved by God conditionally based upon performance. Many of us grew up in an environment where we were rewarded based upon doing what our parents thought were good. And then we were chastised for doing things that they thought weren't good. And bottom line, we then apply that directly to God. That's not what God does. God loves us steady state equally. He wants us. We trip, we fall. He wants us to go to reconciliation, come back to him. The prodigal son story is the absolute greatest. The father is looking out, which a Jewish father would not have done that, looking out for his son, looking at the horizon. And what does he do? He runs and greets them. He hugs them. The son runs out to see him. That's just a tip of the iceberg of what the father does when we turn to him. You we said a Jewish father wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't a Jewish father do that? Just tradition. I mean, basically, if a Jewish father, especially in the time of Jesus anyway, if a Jewish father had a son disown them, then it's like, you're dead to me. That's it. But this father, even though he got his inheritance and, of course, squandered it, the Jewish father is coming and killing the fatted lamb, giving him the ring, giving him the cloak, you know, doing all these things. I mean, that that just shows God's love when we turn back to him. So the Jewish audience really got that, right? They got that God's love is so much And it greater. had to be strange, right? Like, that doesn't make sense. It had, you know, exactly. when you think of the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, yeah. You know, you think about the whole world at that time, if the Taliban would have like been teleported to that part time, they would have been the progressives, right? People would have been like, whoa, who let these liberals in? And yeah. at that time and place, Jesus stands with the woman caught in adultery. That yeah. is, that ha I can't imagine what that story I can't imagine how people took that in the first, second, and third centuries. I mean, there's places in the world today where that story is like, wait, what? Huh? Doesn't make any exactly. sense. Exactly. Exactly. And God's love and forgiveness is so much greater than anything we can ever imagine. One of the most important things we can ever do is meditate before the Blessed Sacrament, meditate before a cross, a holy place, wherever it might be, maybe outside at, at a great setting. In Hawaii, meditate before the ocean or a great setting and just ask the Lord, show me how much you love me because I just don't feel loved. I don't love myself. Show me how much you love me. And if we do that, I 100% guarantee that God will somehow break, break through the clutter to just give us that we know that we're loved. We know that we're loved. Maybe it's going to take a couple of times. But just keep at it. Say, it I took Mother Teresa. She had a dark night of the soul for a very long time, right? Exactly. It, it can take some time. But keep at it. Say, I don't feel loved by you, Lord. I feel, I just don't feel loved. Show me how much you love me. People will come into your life. You're going to hear something on the radio or TV or Internet. Something will come. And all of a sudden, you'll say, oh, man, that's a message from God that he has not abandoned me. He loves me. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter, right, Deacon, how 
we feel about how God feels about us. It's we know objectively God loves. I would say even since the beginning of my conversion, I never had one of these like woohoo born again experiences. I sort of, this is how I explain it to people. I feel like I've had a dusk night of the soul my entire conversion. Not a dark night, just a dusk night. And how I explain this is, like I feel like, okay, there's the church, there's the body of Christ, it's moving through the forest. And I'm I'm kind of like a hundred yards away, sitting around my bonfire by myself. Well, they're all down there, you know. And I feel yeah. like I feel like I'm moving with them, I'm following with them, I'm with them, but I'm, eh, I feel it's not that I feel like God doesn't love me. He loves me, but you know, it's sort of like almost like he's ambivalent. Um, but I know it doesn't matter how I feel. That doesn't. No. That's how I feel. But the truth yeah. is. God loves me. Whatever the psychological, I didn't have really have my dad in my life. Whatever the psychological things in my life are that make me feel this way about God, my insecurity about God's love, my feelings about how God feels about me have nothing to do with how God feel, how God relates to me. And that's why I love the title, God Thirst Free, because there has to be a lot of people like me or, you know, so damaged that it's going to be really hard for them to feel that God loves them, but what's more important than feeling it is you know it. Yeah, you know it in your heart, and people know it. come, and they're broken, they feel empty, and when they leave, they're filled up. They realize how much, at least they come much closer realizing even a glimpse of how much God loves them, that God has forgiven them. And, you know, we again, the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not condemning you. We condemn ourselves. Jesus died for you and rose again. Jesus has forgiven you. So just the whole concept of how much Jesus is thirsting for us and how we are created to thirst for him. We are created to thirst for him. You know, We are created to know him. We are created to long for him. And we try to fill it with everything in the world. No matter how much money you have, it's never enough. You know, uh, things of the world, never, ever enough. You know, people think sex, money, power, you know, I'm going to get that promotion. Then I'm going to be happy. Yeah, good luck, Chuck. I have to tell you, lots of luck. You know, I was senior vice president of a Fortune 25 company. I had 4,000 employees, $7 billion budget. I had a big corner office. I walked in the office, looked around, and I said, "Is this it? There's no." Did you go through a? De- did you go through like a maybe a period of like depression, where you thought, "Wow, well, I, I achieved everything I wanted," and yeah, n- now what? And I achieved nothing, and now I achieved nothing. Yeah, I mean, you go through this period, and you basically say, "It's a lie. The world lies to you. The enemy lies to you, thinking that." Only if you got that promotion, everything would be fine. Only if you got more money. Only if you got that right person as a partner, everything would be different. No. You turn your life to Jesus Christ sincerely, then things are going to be different. Because you're thirsting for Jesus whether you realize it or not. He's thirsting for you constantly and just waiting for you like that prodigal father is waiting for you to get it. You know, I really believe sometimes. Deacon, how do you explain that? There's a young man listening right now who drives Uber Eats. He works the night shift uh, in an Amazon warehouse. 
and he has a wife and two kids and they barely can make ends meet every month and there's stress at home. How do you convince them to understand that, you know, cause they're going to hear that and go easy for you to say, right. Um, how would you, how would you try to explain to them that, that in wealth and fame and power probably comes. I remember once saying to a friend of mine who was one of the richest men in the world and I was working on a political project and we were friends. We're friends. And um, it was during the economic downturn in 2007. And I was working on this political project but had just lost my job. And my wife was pregnant. I had two mortgages. And I was very stressed. And I was expressing that I was very stressed out about all this. And he said, and I said, well, you know, you'd really never be able to empathize what it's like. And I'm not going to say what country he's from, but, you know, he's the richest man in his country. And he said, listen, he said, sure, I don't know what it's like to lose my job and not know how to pay my rent, but you'll never know what it's like to make a business mistake and cause the stock market of your country to crash and 300,000 people to lose their job. Right. And you're like, well, whoa, I'll take my problems, please. Give me my problems, yeah, please. I, I would take my problems, please. Everyone thinks that their cross is bigger than someone else's cross. It isn't about how much money you make or how great your job is or whether or not you're self-sufficient financially. It's about relationship. And, and I'll just summarize it by this way. There's a gigantic difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness, oh, I got that promotion. My baseball team or sports team won. Happiness is something good happened. It comes, it goes, it's gone. Joy is based on relationship. Joy is based on your relationship with Christ. I've known people that have nothing, nothing financially. I've known people that are literally cancer throughout their body. They're, they don't have long to live. And they, everything about them is pure joy. The smiles, you can just, they radiate joy because they have a relationship with Jesus. So joy is a relationship with God, with Jesus. Happiness is striving for things that are temporary and transitory. There's a gigantic difference. And people strive for happiness. Guess what? Happiness isn't going to last. No one can take joy away from you. No one. And you can't get joy, at least I believe, without a relationship with God, with Jesus. No, impossible. And when we're lonely, Amen. when we're despairing, when we have anxiety, these are great. It's like when you burn your hand when you grab a hot pot. It's still to say, let go, change what you're doing. And when, we, when we're away from God and we feel um, anxiety, fear, loneliness, um, it tells us, at least it tells me, uh, I need to get closer to God. And then when I even feel it, those things I still feel sometimes as a Christian, I'll, I'll get my work. Deacon, I don't know if you know too much about what I do, but the past two years I've worked especially a lot in catastrophes and failed states like Afghanistan and Ukraine, Sudan, Nigeria. We've had a lot of tragedies. Mm. We've had a lot of beautiful successes. It's been it's been hard. But when I I, I, I would never say I felt despair, but I felt despondent. I never lost my faith. Sure. In fact, my faith just got stronger. But I would kind of be like, okay, God, not right now. You sit over there. I'm going to sit over here. We're going to drive together. 
we're just not going to talk for a while. I'm just going to sit here. No, I hear you. You know, and I when I feel you. these kind of dark places, I thank God for them because I say, okay, this is this is how other people feel for years. Well, it's that, and it's also it, it is a report card litmus test to say mm. I had my expectations, you know, and expectations lead to disappointment. I can't have expectations. You know, that's, you know, and and St. Mother Teresa, you know, talks about that. You know, we're just called to be faithful, not successful. It's God who knows the plan. You know, I mean, we we plan, we we come up, you know, because we, especially, I think men and women, but men, you know, we we have our, we're goal-oriented, you know, we come up with these plans, you know, we're basically doing our business plan. This is, and we define success as an endpoint to say, okay, this is what success is going to look like. And it doesn't happen, at least in our timing. Or maybe it happens in a different way. But God has a plan for us so that when we trust in him and believe in him, there literally is impossible to fail in the sense that we are connected to him and he's going to work it out in a way that he he knows best because we don't know what's best. We don't. And so it's so important because we have these challenges if once we think that we've arrived that's when god says uh-huh well let me just throw this at you and you know we have this disappointment and then we say okay do we trust god in that disappointment or do we basically say i'm just going to keep going ahead keep keep plugging in and you tell me what you want me to do amen well deacon I am envious. I wish I could be at this conference. And I also envy you that you get to hang out with so many of my friends. I don't know. Is Bear Wozniak going to be one of your speakers? Do you know Bear? Uh, no. I, no. But we'll have to work on that. Well, yeah. So I don't know if you know Bear. He's one of my good friends. And he uh, lives in Waikiki. He has a TV show on EWTN. And he's a great author. Oh, awesome. Has a new book awesome. coming out. But he uh, he wakes up every morning and does his morning prayers right there. He's a surf legend. But he does his morning prayers oh, right there in Waikiki. Great. I have to suspect he'll be at your conference, but I know that your conference will be filled with with so many of my friends. I'm going to put your website in the show notes. Um, Jesus Thank Thirst you. for America, and um, I hope you have a wonderful retreat with the most wonderful community on earth. You know, the people of Hawaii. It's a very unique. It's a very blessed. When it says in the Psalms, tell the furthest islands to be glad, I think that was a direct reference to the state of Hawaii, which is the furthest place in the world from any other place in the world. So It is an amazing place of, of joy, and the people are so loving and so filled with the Spirit. It's just a blessing to be there. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? I think that any I'm just going to ask everybody to pray, to pray for you, to pray for your show, to pray for your ministry and everything you're doing to touch the world and certainly to pray for spiritual hearts ministry and the I thirst Jesus thirst for America um, to pray, pray, pray because prayer changes things. Prayer is the embodiment of the love that we have in our heart. Go to Jesus dot com. If you want us to come to your area, you can go to the website. You can let us know that you're interested. We'll contact you, contact the diocese. We're going to be going to New Orleans. We're going to be going to Birmingham. We're going to be going all over the country. 
but we want to go to your area. It's a three-year, at least three years, both in the U.S. and then beyond the U.S. And we want to do everything we possibly can to support you, get you excited about Jesus, get you filled with the Holy Spirit by saying yes to Jesus and surrendering your life and heart to him. Well, we have listeners all over the world, uh, Deacon. We have listeners all over the world, and um, we're going to have to bring you to German Hill Country. I might have to go to New Orleans. When are you going to be in New Orleans? Well, we're targeting right now uh, October 14th. It's still not 100%, but we're targeting the 14th of of October, but it definitely is going to happen. You know, I have a great partner with Deacon Larry Oney there and his wife, Andy Oney, and uh, so that's going to be really important. And then we're, we're looking to go to Florida. I mean, lots of places, New York, Brooklyn, um, you know, w- w- what's the best place for you uh, in terms of, of coming to a location? Praise God. I will tell you this. You're going to my two favorite places already, Hawaii and Louisiana. <laughs> Don't tell. Te- I okay. love Texas. Don't tell. I'm new here to Texas. I love Texas. Um, Louisiana and Hawaii are my two favorite places. We would have moved to Louisiana, but Louisiana's like Hawaii. I knew this, that they like you when you visit, but they probably don't want you to stay for long. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, yeah, well, we, you come and hang out all you want, but uh, don't make yourself too comfortable. Um, well, listen, God bless you, and God bless your audience and, and your listeners and all the people that support you, and God bless your family. And it's been, been a real blessing to be on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deacon Steve. God bless you. God bless. All right, guys. I really appreciate this conversation with Deacon Steve. I will tell you, um, if you live in Hawaii, you need to go to this conference. I struggle. I won't even say struggle with. I become resolved with this sort of this relationship. Even when with my book coming out from Sophia Press, my spiritual autobiography, the title is "On Rocky Soil: A Spiritual Autobiography from Someone You May Not Meet in Heaven." Does that mean I don't want to go to heaven? No, that means I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And I know a lot of you evangelicals are like, you need assurance in your salvation. Well, I'm Catholic, and I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. But I will say I do have that sort of like, I know I love God. I know he loves me. And it's not that I don't feel his love. And God's God blesses me in so many obvious ways that it's ridiculous that I'm, I'm like needy. It's like, what more can I, he's like, what more can I do for you, Jason, to feel that I love you? So I don't know if you're like me, but it doesn't matter. I sometimes, it's not that I don't feel God loves me, but I would say, I'll put it blunt. I feel like he's almost indifferent to me. Like, eh, yeah, I know. I know Jason Jones. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're say, hey, do you know Jason Jones? If you're asked somebody about somebody, hey, Frank, do you know Bill? Yeah, I know Bill. So what about him? Ah, you know, I know him. They don't want to say anything bad. They're not going to say anything good. They're just like, yeah, no, no, I know Bill. I, I feel like if you were to ask God, well, tell me about Jason Jones. Jason Jones? Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I know the guy. But it doesn't matter. It literally does not, it does not matter at all how I feel. You may feel your spouse doesn't love you. It doesn't matter how you feel. Your spouse loves you. If your spouse loves you, your spouse loves you. And you have to sometimes wonder you know, in personal relationships and also with our relationship with God, that sometimes that we don't look at there's something broken with us that we can't feel love. That doesn't mean we're not experiencing love. And then if we train our mind 
and pray for God's grace to heal our hearts so we can feel it, well, that's a good thing. But it doesn't matter, really. To me, it doesn't matter how I feel uh, if I know God loves me. And then I even feel, uh, how do I put it? I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my dark nights of the soul. I'm grateful for when I suffer depression or despair or I suffer, if I become despondent. I have become really grateful for these moments, these experiences, because I've never been overwhelmed or washed away for months or years at a time. And I know that for those of you who have, that's different. Um, but I'm grateful for when I have these weeks or months of, of, dis, of I've never fallen into despair. Despair, I'd say I become despondent. And I've gone, I've, I've gone to dark places. Um, and and I've, I've come to see these as spiritual exercises to help me have empathy towards others. Um, and the other thing I would say is as a community, I was just lamenting to a friend. I remember our community in Hawaii in the 90s. 80s, 70s before, there were lots, the church was vibrant with like activities. And um, we need to return to that again. And so I really hope that you go to this Jesus Thirst for America event in Hawaii. I'm If you're there, I'm going to put it in the show notes. If you're not there, you should in, in, invite Deacon Steve. I hope I didn't call him Deacon Sam. The whole time I didn't want to call him Deacon Sam. Because one of my favorite kickboxers of all time is named Sam Greco from Australia. And I kept like, I'm going to call him Sam. I'm going to call him Deacon Sam. I hope I did. If I did that, oh, that's horrible. But he was a great kickboxer. He actually broke Hawaii great legend, heavyweight champion, Dennis Lexio's leg. Um, and, and see, these are the weird, you don't get this in other podcasts. You don't get the Catholic guy all of a sudden digressing into obscure kickboxing history of the 90s. Um, but I'm really glad the deacon, Steve Greco, is doing this in the state of Hawaii. I hope all of you in Hawaii who are listening, if you can, go. It's in the show notes. And I also want to mention in the show notes, uh, this is the first episode I'm going to be announcing this. This January, we are going to Hawaii. We are going to do a pilgrimage to Kalapapa for the feast day of Mother uh, St. Marianne Cope uh, in the island of Kalapapa for Saint, where there was St. Damien and St. Mother Marianne. There was a Catholic community founded by St. Damien to care for the, um, the Hansen's patients, the people with leprosy in the state of Hawaii. They turned hell on earth into a little beautiful community of Christians. And we're going to do um, a pilgrimage there in January. It's in, in the show notes. You can check it out. I'll do more on this. Um, it was just finalized. The brochures were just printed, and we're going to talk a lot more about this. But I'll just say this for now. The reason... Um, I've been asked for many, many years to do pilgrimages all over the world. But with my apostolate at the Vulnerable People Project, it is to stand in solidarity to the point of becoming as vulnerable as them. Two of Three of my examples have been St. Mother Marianne Cope, St. Damien, um, St. Maximilian Colby, Father Jersey also, and, um, and there are many other great saints of solidarity. But to me, St. Damien really represents it well because he perfectly represents to serve the vulnerable is to become indistinguishable from them as the second person of the trinity became indistinguishable from us suffered from for us and died for us and saint damien serving lepers got leprosy franz jaeger stotter refusing to say a nazi loyalty oath 
because of the crimes against humanity committed by the Nazis and its idolatry um, was executed. St. Maximilian Kolbe hiding Jews in his monastery um, and then trading his life for another man's uh, in the starvation bunker became that man, actually. And so um, I'm really hoping that that many of you, I really want the Jason Jones Show audience, we're going to email it to the VPP donors and the Jason Jones Show audience, and I said give us two or three weeks to promote it to our community because it's probably going to sell it pretty fast, and then they're going to announce it to the broader Catholic world. But, um, yeah, so we're going to maybe, I want to do like a one show a month at least, on Hawaii. Maybe we'll do Aloha Saturdays um, where we do a show, a Hawaii-themed show, uh, once a week, every month. I don't know. My travel schedule has been so crazy. But anyways, all right, check out the show notes. Great interview with Stephen Deacon Steve Greco, who is no relation to kickboxer Sam Greco. Check out the link. Sign up. Oh, this episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. This We are in the middle of our our goal is to double our monthly donors in the month of July, which is a big, you know, we it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. Probably not going to reach it, but you can help us reach it. If everyone listening went and clicked and donated $25 a month, uh, we would reach it. And if you click, go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor of $25 a month or more, you will get the Great Campaign hat, and it has, like, patches of all the countries we work in the world, and you can pick the country patch that you want, Nigeria, Malawi, East Turkestan, Sudan, South Sudan, um, Qatar, the Vatican, the United States, Ukraine. You get to pick. Okay? All right. Until next time, this was Jason Jones Show. Aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh,